This is Tony Felice. Um, if you've heard me talk about him, it's usually mocking him in some way. <laughs> That's been our, our relationship. Uh, but uh, Tony is the, the reason that we, we live in Kansas. Uh, so we got a phone call years ago, and most of you probably heard this story, but uh, we talked to him, and uh, we, some guy, and he started asking all these weird questions, and then he asked, uh, so uh, we're in Kansas, and we're gonna, we'd like to fly you out of here and have a further conversation, and we hung up, and Laura and I looked at the map, and we're like, where's Kansas? And, you know, one of us suggested it was north of Tennessee, and we were like, yeah, that must be it. We looked it up, and we were way off. Uh, so that speaks to the geography we learned in Texas schools. And, um, but anyway, having, having Tony come and speak, um, you know, whether he wanted to be or not, I don't know if it was any official capacity, I guess Presbytery recognized it, but he's uh, my mentor, uh, coming to uh, Kansas, first uh, official pastorate in the PCA, and, and so uh, over and over again I would go to him and ask him questions, and nothing's changed since we've come out here. I still call him and say, what do you do with this? Uh, you know, I'll call Tim first, and if Tim doesn't give me answers, then, then it's straight to Tony. Uh, but that's uh, been the way it is, and so we, we asked him to come out and to, to preach this, this uh, uh, particularization sermon today, and he's promised he won't be too long. Um, Tony Felich. <laughs> I didn't make any promises at all. I prom I, that's what I promise. Uh, now let me tell you the other side of the story about how we came to know Brian Huff. We had spent over a year, 13 months, trying to find somebody. We picked somebody else. Somebody cooler. I mean, just everything you can imagine. <laughs> but for personal reasons, he could not fulfill the call. Some of you will remember that story. And I remember the elders saying, well, we've got to go back and search again. And Nathan and I, who had been a big part of trying to find the person, uh, we were depressed. We were like, how on earth, after it took us 13 months to come up with one person, it didn't work out, how are we going to find somebody now? So I went to, like, ministrypositions.com or something, which, you know, for PCA, that's as low as we get. You know, we have to do that. <laughs> and so I look up, and, and I looked along the list, and there was someone listed that had preference as PCA, but he had been in a Baptist church the whole time. And so, at first, I got to admit, I just kept going on. I looked for another one. But then it said he went to a seminary that was associated with the PCA, or at least the guys were coming to the PCA from there, and started looking at his resume more fully, and he had just posted it. So it wasn't like he was there when we were looking at the cooler guy first. Uh, he showed up later. He just, I don't know if he graduated later or what it was, but he put his posting on, and I showed Nathan right away, and we both agreed. We're, Boy, this looks like, I mean, Texas, that's not the best. But as far as the rest... <laughs> This is a possibility. So um, I called him right away, and I, and I said the phone call. I asked a couple different phone calls, and I pumped him with, yeah, real unusual questions like, do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe, you know, things like that. And so, and a few other questions. And so he uh, agreed to come out, and we had him come out. And he was already going to go visit another church or two. But while I was there, I, I really felt like this guy could be the guy the Lord was leading us to, mostly because of his wife. I mean, she's the one that made us think, this, this will work. Uh, the elders met him, and they all were amazed, too, because we had gone through candidates, and we're like, this guy could be the guy that God's calling to come to our church. And we wanted to call someone who would work with youth ministry, but then also uh, grow in his ministry and hopefully go into church planning, go be a pastor of a church. It would be partly a training, but also would be something that would help us uh, in the development of our own church. And so uh, as he was getting ready to go, I had gotten some word back from some of the elders. They liked him. And... And I said, I'll try to talk him out of going to the other churches. And so I think I started bad-mouthing the other churches, maybe. That might have been what it was. 
oh, you don't want to go to Colorado. I think that's terrible out there. You'll hate the winters there because they're great in Kansas, see. And then I, there was a couple other different places. And so on his side, though, when he, he left, it, was, it wasn't a week later, we called him and said, we really think we'd like you to come and minister at Redeemer. Um, he, I don't know if you did take that trip to Colorado. I think you canceled the trip, which was, uh, which, which was cool. We, we appreciated that. And he was there in 2006 and um, for six years ministered there. Uh, with us in multiple capacities, growing in, in all the ways that uh, you would hope him to grow with his, his calling, his gifts. It, it wasn't a surprise to us. I knew he would be wanting to go to do something else. We'd hoped that maybe at the church something would develop sooner for a church plant out of our church. So I wasn't really sure how it would work. Where would Brian um, grow further? And so he came to me one day with this sheet. He, it looked like he was nervous. He came to my office with a sheet. And he comes to my office all the time, and he's not nervous when he comes in. He usually comes in when I'm not there and messes with something in my office. No, I mean, seriously. I mean, and John Myers, uh, who's our church administrator, he put a snowball on his desk one time and just left it there. Then another time he came in and attacked him with airsoft guns, I believe it was, in front of some of the youth of the church. But otherwise, that's, you know, something on the side. Uh, but Brian came into my office, and he handed the sheet, and he said, just read it. Don't say anything before you read it. And so I, I read it. I didn't really read it. I just looked at the first line and the last line. That's kind of how I read. And I realized uh, he, I, I could see what he was asking. And, and I, I thought, this is a perfect plan. I mean, it made sense. I saw Planet Church, Manhattan, talked about the RUF connection. And everything looked great except for they're going to take Travis and Amy, too. You can go, Brian, but Travis and Amy, <laughs> did they have to go, too? And then, really, it struck me. This is perfect. This is exactly what would be best for the kingdom. And it would be uh, in our we'd want to be part of helping this, you know, and promoting this and helping him in that transition. And so for the next year, it was that transition to move uh, here to Manhattan. And it's a blessing to see so many of our Presbytery kids involved here, people that Brian ministered to when he was a youth pastor at our church and through the Presbytery. In fact, this is probably the biggest worship service I remember where we had members from all the different churches in our Presbytery. I'm just curious, if you don't mind, um, raise your hand if you're from Evangel Church here uh, from Wichita. Raise your hand. Great to have you all here. And then um, how about uh, Heartland Church in Wichita as well? Great to have you all, too. And New Hope. How many people are from New Hope in Olathe? Good to have you all here, too. Uh, how many of you, I bet you a lot of you have children here or who have had been, been ministered to here as well. Um, how many people from Redeemer? Good old uh, hometown crowd from Redeemer here to support. Good. Good to have you all here, too. I know we have Parkwoods and Christ Present Oak, Oak Hills. I didn't know if anyone was here from those churches. This still marks, we have a small presbytery, and this marks one of the biggest gatherings we've had of all these churches. So how many from Manhattan Presbyterian? Raise your hand if you are part of this new church plant. We are really excited to meet you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Some of you crossed over from some of the ministries that we just talked about, and now you're members here. That is exactly the way we wanted to see it work, and it's such a blessing to call Brian and say, check up on so-and-so, or John Dunning, check up on so-and-so. So kids, if that happens to you, you know where that's coming from, and that's how the church works. Now, I learned a lot from Brian. Um, he's kind of like the younger brother that I never had, uh, and we've had a lot of fun together, enjoy each other. I love him. We go on a, uh, the Kitty Trail drive about every year that he doesn't bail out on me. I think every year, pretty much, except one time when he bailed out on me because he was too busy. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but one of the things I learned is that you have to have a good pair of preaching socks. You can't come up and preach without preaching socks. You all know what I'm talking about? Do you notice Brian's socks choices? Well, look at the ones I've got today to commemorate. <laughs> New York Yankees. Is Sam casting here? Because he's probably heard he was going to bail out if he saw these. Ah, sorry. In all uh, seriousness, it is, uh, I want to give an encouragement tonight, and I, I don't want to preach as long as usual. 
so this will only be like an hour and a half or so. I want you to look at Ephesians 5. It's in the bulletin. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, and then I will uh, end with Revelation 19 later. So just hold that there, and you can see it uh, as I read. Greatly encouraged by uh, the church when it's planted. The church and then the particular expressions of the church, this is one of them. And this is one of the testimonies that the gates of hell will not, will not prevail against the kingdom of God. Every time a church is planted, it's just another statement to the devil uh, that he loses, that he is lost, and that the church will succeed. It doesn't matter what the nation's doing. It doesn't matter what the nations are doing. God's church succeeds, and God plants his church. And make no mistake, this is a big deal when the church is planted. And that's what we see here we're part of, and we should rejoice in it. Because this is part of the heavenly worship that we will participate in. So much will fade away in this life, but the church will not. The church will continue. And the planting of this church is another encouragement to all believers. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 is usually given as a, a text uh, during weddings or to talk about marriage, and that's important. But realize that it, this analogy, marriage is supposed to be copying what God thinks about his church. It's not the other way around. It's not a way to describe God. It's the way that God wants us to see marriage. So the way that you would picture God's love for the church, Christ's love for his bride, that's to give us the depth of, of intensity and passion that we are to have for our spouses. But this is really about Christ and his church. That's what Ephesians 5 is meant to say to us. So in these few verses, I just want to draw out a few of the key points to encourage Manhattan Presbyterian Church and our presbytery and Christians about what the church is called to do and be. This should encourage all of us. Hear God's word as I read. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's bow together as I lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, we gather on this special occasion, fittingly on your day, to worship you as Manhattan Presbyterian Mission Church becomes Manhattan Presbyterian Church. You have raised up elders to oversee this precious flock. You have called these men and these families to gather to worship you, to be immersed in your word, to bask in your gospel, and to share it with the lost. You have called them to fellowship one with another and to become a community that invites others to join this fellowship in Christ. You planted this new church here to be another gospel light in a dark world. Please encourage us by another example of, a Jesus, of Jesus accomplishing what he said that he would do. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Amen. You know, our country has been through a very tumultuous time. In fact, it's still there's this sense of unrest that continues even after uh, a presidential election has decided our next president. We've been very nation-focused. Many people, it's all we've been talking about. The nation this, the future of the nation, what the nation used to be, what the nation is now. The nation, the nation, the nation. And we think a lot of the nation. We think in, on Veterans Day, just a few days ago, uh, we celebrate those men and women who have sacrificed so much for us to enjoy even this gathering to some degree. So it's the nation, it's the nation. And we think about the nation this way. 
Now, when you get depressed about thinking about the nation or you get down about it or it becomes too big or it's something we can't really control, what do you do? Sometimes we kind of recluse a little bit. We think about our families, our families, our families. It's our family. You know, we, can, we can't do anything about what's happening out there, but we could really tend to our families. And we focus on our families and we try to nurture them, protect them, build them up, prepare them. It's our families. It's our families. The nation, our families. These things that spend so, so much of it fills our mind and our thoughts. When the reality is, I want you to think about this, um, the nations will fade and be gone for eternity. Families as such will be gone and fade for eternity. I know it's hard to imagine. What will remain are the people of God. The church, this thing that we should fill our minds with, the thing that God loves is his church and what his church is called to, what his church is doing, what he's doing with his church. This is what should excite us. And I would even submit the more the church understood what it means to be the church, the more the nations and families would be affected positively. In fact, the greatest thing we could do, no matter how down you may be or up you may be about what's happening in the nation or the world, the thing we could all agree with and be focused upon, and no comes with power, is focusing upon God's church. It's his church that will make the difference in the lives of people for eternity. It's his church. It's this gathering of all of us with the gifts he's given us collectively to minister so that people know what the gospel is, that they are born again when they hear the message, and that they grow in grace. They're sanctified, and God is glorified, and the church will always do this, and it will always succeed until Christ comes back. It will never fail. Even when it seems down, it's never out because God will build his church and the gates of hell will not, cannot prevail against it. Now, look at the passage because I think you'll see the main foci that we should have when we're thinking about uh, our goal as the church. How do we do these things? How do we be excited about the ministry and the progress of the church that we are all part of? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, there are five different terms I want to pull out of this passage. Christ, the church, sanctify or sanctification, the word, and God's glory. Those are the five concepts. Christ, the church, sanctification, the word, and God's glory. This is what the church should be about. This is what the church is. Christ, the church, sanctification, the word, and God's glory. First, in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ is the first, the first and the head of the church, the most important thing in the church. The song we sang, all is Christ. And this is what we, who we are. Uh, Christ is our head. He is our king. He is our Lord. He is our shepherd. He is our salvation. So the church is first and foremost about Christ. Uh, that's who we are. We're to be Christ to the world. The world should look at the church and know who Christ is. Um, the world should look at the church and experience who Christ is, what his word is, what his practices are, what he says, what he has done. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ for the world is who we sing and who we preach, but he's also the one who has made us alive together with himself. So we are in Christ because he's laid himself down for us. Um, he's the head of the church because he's the righteous representative. All of us in Adam failed in our relationship with God under the first Adam. All mankind was rendered sinner, sinful. Jesus came as the second Adam to fulfill God's righteousness, to give us his righteousness, fulfill God's righteous requirements, 
to the uttermost. Now, in giving himself up for who? The church. We can be right with God. So Christ is the one who makes us able to worship, gives us a reason to live, breaks down the dividing wall between us and God. The church is about Christ. This is who we are introducing people to. As we worship Christ, we introduce people to Christ. Do what God says in his word towards him, and we will then express it to those who are outside as well. And he's the head. He is the one who is our king. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, And he, God, put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church. Later in Colossians, he writes something similar. In him, Christ, you have been made complete, and he, Christ, is the head over all rule and authority. I love what our confession of faith says in its 25th chapter about the church. The Catholic small c or universal church, which is invisible, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof, and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ. And the job of the elders of the church is to make sure all of us in the church always remember who the head of the church is, Christ. The pastor is not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. The presbytery is not the head of the church. The general assembly is not the head of the church. No bishop, no cardinal, no pope is head of the church. There is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus himself. And the church is about the presence of Jesus in this community. Now, the second word, the church itself, it says that Jesus gave himself up for the church. And the church, for all its wrinkles and its spots and its stains in this life, it's still God's precious and treasured possession. I've been a pastor for over 20 years now, and yes, there are a lot of things about the church that are, that are troublesome or difficult or challenging. But it has never, ever taken away my love for the church because these are the people for whom Christ died. These are the people God loves. You are the people God loves. You are the church. And he knows all of how, how you're messed up. And Christ meets that need. And so in Christ, God loves us like he loves his son. And so we are called to love the church. Shepherds, especially pastors, elders of the church. We must love the church because God loves the church. The worth of the church is not in its holiness. The worth of the church is not in its outward appearance, what it may look like in its building or its form. The reason God loves the church so much is because he loves Christ. He loves Christ so much, and the church is in Christ. God loves the church because Christ gave himself up for her. You know, as I think about us being an assembly of sinners, because we are, an assembly of broken and battered people. We are an assembly of inconsistent people that always battle hypocrisy. When people say, you Christians are hypocrites, yes, we are. It stinks. We hate it that way, but it's true. We struggle with this. We're a group of messed up folks. We are sick and we are torn. We're bruised and we're weak. But the word of God tells us who we are in the view of, of God himself because of Jesus in our stead. The church, we're God's people. We may be a mess, but we are God's people. The church is the ecclesia of God, the called out ones. The church is the Israel of God. The church is the bride of Jesus, the wife of the lamb, as it says in Revelation. The church is the elect of God, the chosen of God. 
We may not be much, but we're chosen. God has picked us. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the vineyard of God. The church is the company of the upright in Christ. The church is God's beloved. The church is the flock of God. The church is the general assembly of the firstborn. The church is God's spiritual building. The church is God's spiritual house. The church is the temple of the living God. The church is the redeemed of the Lord. The church is the house of God or God's household. And there is the church, and then there are the local expressions of the church. And when people say, I'm a Christian, but I don't, I'm not a member of a church, or I haven't joined a church, ew, you can't do that. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. I don't mean that. But you need to be part of what God's called out. You need to be counted with the church. Because he loves the church. But they're messed up. Yes, and you joining will only make it more messed up. But they still, God still loves the church. This is where he places his special grace upon us. Because in community, we gain something we cannot get on our own as families or as individuals. We come together with all the spiritual gifts that God gives by a spirit so we can help nurture one another. He loves the church. I love again what the Westminster Confession says. The church has been sometimes more, sometimes less visible. And particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure. This is how it works. According as the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, ordinances or sacraments administered, and public worship performed more or less purely in them. We all know that churches can vary in their spiritual health and strength and maturity. But make no mistake, where these things exist, where the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced, where the ordinances are administered, where public worship is performed, there exists the church. And God loves the church. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The third term, sanctification, it comes in the middle of verse 26, but back to verse 25, gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. That just means to make holier and holier. Having past tense, cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It was the will of Christ to sanctify his people, to save and to sanctify them. There are uh, two things that God does for believers in particular. He first justifies them. That's a one-time act where he places you uh, in Christ by faith. He gives you the gift of faith so that you trust or depend upon or rely upon, rest in Jesus. Uh, that's a one-time thing that God does, and you rest upon him, and that's counted to you as righteousness. You believe, and so therefore the righteousness of Jesus is credited to you. You're justified. You are just before God. You are right before God. That's the first thing he does for us. But he does something else after. It's a different act, but it's still by God's grace. That's when he sanctifies us. And guess what? The church is the place where you're sanctified. The church is where you will find the means of God's grace that will help you grow. You will not find these anywhere else. They are given to the church. Uh, the church has been given the gifts to administer these things so you will grow in grace. So yes, you can be saved. You could be a Christian and not join a church. Uh, you would be disobedient, but you could do it. You'd be going to heaven. But you can't be sanctified in any real sense. You can't grow without the community of brothers and sisters in Christ, where the spiritual gifts are given, where the word is preached, where the sacraments are administered, where there is prayer, where there is discipline, where there is fellowship. This is the place where we grow. And we say, I want to grow spiritually then you're part of a church. If you really mean that, you will be part of a church. But my church is messed up. I get that. What do we just say about that? What will God do even through all of us messed up churches? He'll still do his will. 
He'll still sanctify his people. And this is why Christ died to clean and cleanse his people. It says in Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then in our text, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, make her more holy, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, verse 27 now, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. So the work of the Lamb now is, is, if you will, cleaning us up, sanctifying us, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, it doesn't happen in this life in fullness. No way. But God, using his gifts, as we consistently are bathed in what the gospel says and is true, we grow in grace, preparing us for the day when Christ returns for his own. And this is the work he's doing even now as he calls more and more people to himself, places them in his church, and his church are, is given the gifts that help them grow in the grace that he has given us in the first place. What is sanctification? Our catechism says that sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. This is something that Christ has done uh, in his benefits, uh, provided for us sanctification. Yes, he's provided us salvation and justification, but he has also provided for us sanctification, this ongoing action in our lives. The word, verse 25 or 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. How does he do this sanctifying? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of water with the word. The word is the central means of God's grace whereby he saves us and sanctifies us. Now we learn in the word there are other means of grace that he ordains. Um, means of grace, I mean it's a method or it's a tool that God uses to grow our faith in him. Everybody who comes to Christ has faith in Christ. God gives that faith. The faith might look like a thread that holds on to Christ. It may be very little, but it's faith nonetheless. And because it's connected to Christ, it's saving faith. Christ can save. So it might only be a thin line. Maybe that's you. You only have a, you know, I've only, I'm a new believer or I'm struggling or I'm straining, but I believe. Well, you have faith. Uh, you've been saved because your faith is in the finished work of Christ. The way that God builds that thread into a rope and then into a thicker rope, then into like a chain, is by the means of grace. As the word is preached, as you come to learn the truth of what God said in, his whole, in, in ever, everything he commanded, you continue to grow, and that faith grows stronger. The means of grace are there for your faith to grow stronger. If you're not exposed to the means of grace, you'll grow weaker. There's no way to grow apart from the means that God has appointed. So the church may do all sorts of stuff, but please, Manhattan Presbyterian Church, be a means of grace church as you are. Be an ordinary means of grace. I love the word ordinary as it's said in history. There's nothing ordinary about the means of grace. It's all supernatural. But focus upon the word. Focus upon the sacraments. Focus upon prayer. And their corollaries, fellowship, service, the things that we do in fellowship and community with each other. But if you stay true to those basic things, by God's grace, that's how God will, 
will grow this church in its impact, whatever it looks like numerically. An ordinary means of grace church is founded upon the word of God, the washing of water with the word. That's the way God sanctifies his church. I love, again, the part of the 25th chapter of the confession. And particular churches, which are members thereof, are more or less pure according to the doctrine of the gospel is taught and embraced. Ordinances administered and public worship performed more or less purely in them. Ligon Duncan, who is a pastor in our uh, denomination, wrote on this idea of being an ordinary means of grace ministry. Listen to what he says. It's far more profound than anything I could come up with. Ordinary means ministry has a high view of the Bible, preaching, the church, the ordinances or sacraments, and prayer. Ordinary means ministry believes that the key things that the church can do in order to help people know God and grow in their knowledge of God are, first, emphasize the public reading and preaching of the word, second, emphasize the confirming, sanctifying, and assuring efficacy of the sacraments, publicly administered, and third, emphasize a life of prayer, especially expressed corporately in the church. These things are central and vital, but he says, sadly, often underemphasized and underappreciated. I think a lot of people think, well, people won't come if we do that. We're not going to attract many people. You'd be shocked what an ordinary means of grace ministry will do. You've seen it already in your own midst. He says further, what will a church look like that is committed to the ordinary means of grace? It will be characterized by love for expository Bible preaching, passion for worship, delight in truth, embrace of the gospel, the Spirit's work of conversion, a life of godliness, robust family religion, biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical church membership, mutual accountability in the church, biblical church leadership, and a desire to be a blessing to the nations. Along with this all, there will be an unapologetic, humble, and joyful celebration of the transcendent sovereignty of the one true triune, triune God and salvation in all things. I think he's exactly right. This is what God promises to deliver by his grace. And the ordinary means of grace are not ordinary at all. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Finally, verse 27. Why? Why does God call the church? Why has God sent Christ to die for the church? So that he might present the church, verse 27, to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It's the final conclusion to what God has worked in our salvation and the gathering of his people, to ultimately, on that great day, that day that will come sooner than you can imagine, when we will be presented to him without spot, without blemish, because of Christ, because, what of, because of what Christ has done. When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said to this church, the Corinthians, I mean, people that were as worldly as could be, saved out of that, became believers, struggled like we all struggle. And he says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. Then when he wrote to the Ephesians, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Later in Ephesians chapter 3, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So in these three verses, Christ, the church, sanctification, the word, God's glory, 
it gives us exactly what he's calling us to. I want to close by reading the passage that's listed on your, in your bulletin. Ephesians 5 is that first passage that's familiar with you, for, uh, to you. But Revelation 19 may be less familiar in this context, and I want you to hear it, brothers and sisters, as the church that you are, that God has called you to be. It says in verse 6 and following, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride, the church, his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And as you know, hopefully from your knowledge of Revelation, the context, Christ is the one who gives himself as sacrifice so that we have righteousness. And those are what are equivalent to anything we present to God as righteousness, Christ himself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given us a great, great gift. You have made us part of your church. We thank you for your church. We thank you for the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Lord, it is true as it has been said. The church has a foundation. It's Jesus, her Lord. The church is your new creation by water and the word. From heaven, you came, O Lord, and sought us to make us Christ's holy bride. And Jesus, with your own blood, you bought us. And for our life, the church's life, you died. Lord God, may you bless this new church. For you love your church. You love this church. Through Christ I pray. Amen.